I'm Pastor Evan. I'm glad to be here this morning. And as we begin, and we heard the connection with Shepherd, uh, thank you, Beth. Let's just take a breath. Just breathe in, breathe out. Do it again, and this time invite the Spirit in. Because we're talking about rest today. So let's start that way as we begin. I've been pastor here for five years. Uh, in 2013, I came, and uh, I was nervous to take on the role. Um, Larry, I've got a little hum up here. I was nervous to take on the role, and for the first six months or so that I was here, um, I kind of got into a mentality without realizing it of looking around, because I like efficiency, I like vision, mission, those kinds of things. You've heard those from me before. And so I got into a habit of looking around and seeing all that needs to be fixed. All the inefficiencies and different things that seemed like they weren't as I would have designed them or planned them. And then in 2014, in January, so a little over six months into being here, I was at the Midwinter Conference, our pastors, annual pastors conference in the Covenant, and it was an evening worship session. I was in, engaged in worship. The music was just phenomenal. And uh, it was, God spoke to me in that moment. And God said, love the congregation I called you to serve. Don't just try and fix them. And I took the message to heart. Of course, there are a lot of things that we can adjust and correct and change. There are inefficiencies in the system. There are in every church. There are in ours, too. Let's not act as if there aren't. But I want to qualify the, the love statement that God said, love this congregation. And I took that to heart, and I started trying to reorient my thinking because of that. Now, love means that we still speak the truth. It doesn't mean we just say, oh, you know, that's just the way it is, and we move on, and that's love. That's not what love is. We still need to speak the truth. But love begins with presence, with being present with another person, with engaging with them at a human-to-human -human level. It doesn't begin with saying, here's six problems that are wrong with you. Let's fix them. No, it begins with, tell me who you are. Let's get to know each other. That's where love starts. And when I did that, I was given the gift of perspective in a new way. So I could see more clearly who we are as a people. We value a couple of things. We value relationships. We were talking about this last week. I could see that much more clearly when I stopped and started loving instead of just trying to fix the problems. We value relationships so much that even when people have left the congregation, whether job, uh, relocation, or whether it's those days when people have left because they're upset with something or things went wrong, they still value the relationships, and we're still connected with people who have left long ago. Uh, and truly, go to a funeral for somebody in our congregation, and what is it? It's kind of like a family reunion of people who have left over the years sometimes or had to move. We value those relationships deeply. That's important. One of the other things that I recognized as I stepped back and was given that perspective and loved the congregation is that we are a doing congregation, and that's a positive thing. It's a very positive thing, in fact. Uh, we're very organized. The machinery works. But the downside to that is the machinery continues to work sometimes and will fill a vacuum sometimes even when we don't have a clear reason to keep doing it. We have a hard time sometimes letting go of ministries, and we have a hard time sometimes letting go of stuff around here. We become spiritual pack rats without realizing it. 
There's positives and negatives to all of these, but it's not until we pause uh, and, and take the time to, to interact at that human-to-human -human level that we can start to see the positives and then have fair evaluation to say, now how can we do this better together as God's people? And so I want to make this as a sort of a first point that we'll see in the text. We're going to go back to Mark 6 uh, shortly here, that presence is more important than production. Like the fact that we are actually present with one another is more important than, than doing something for one another. The, the order matters. Of course, doing something for other people matters. But another way to say this that I've heard over the years is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? We have to start with that love and the presence to be with one another. And yet, uh, we can easily fall prey uh, to, make, to quantifying everything by what we do. I mean, that's the water we swim in in our culture. We're constantly evaluated by what we do. We do it in church, how many people were there, how much money came in the plate. It's easy to just say that's success. We, we encounter this in our work, right? You go to a job interview, naturally, what's the thing they want to know? What have you done? That's an okay thing to know. You go to the annual review or you want a salary increase, what do they want to know? How have you been productive for the company? You meet someone new, what do we ask? What do you do? Even vacation, when we go on vacation, often we ask, what are you doing on vacation? We're steeped in it. And it's even a guilty indulgence for many of us to stop and do nothing. I mean, just the thought of that for some of us in the room is very difficult. How can I stop and do nothing? That's a guilty pleasure. I can't do that. I've got to be doing something. I've got to be producing somewhere along the line. I was struck by the words of Henry Nouwen a number of years ago who talks about this very phenomenon, this, this desire to do and the meaning that comes with it. And so this is from Making All Things New. Henry Nouwen says, One of the most obvious characteristics of our daily lives is that we are busy. We experience our days as filled with things to do, people to meet, projects to finish, letters to write, calls to make, and appointments to keep. Our lives often seem like overpacked suitcases bursting at the seams. In fact, we're almost always aware of being behind schedule. There's a nagging sense that there are unfinished tasks, unfulfilled promises, unrealized proposals. There's always something else that we should have remembered, done, or said. There are always people we did not speak to, write to, or visit. Thus, although we are very busy, we also have a lingering feeling of never really fulfilling our obligations. The strange thing, however, is that it is very hard not to be busy. Being busy has become a status symbol. People expect us to be busy and to have many things on our minds. Often our friends say to us, I guess you're busy as usual, and mean it as a compliment. They reaffirm the general assumption that it is good to be busy. In fact, those who do not know what to do in the near future make their friends nervous. Being busy and being important often seem to mean the same thing. Quite a few telephone calls begin with the remark, I know you're busy, but do you have a minute? Suggesting that a minute taken from a person whose agenda is filled is worth more than an hour from someone who has little to do. Do you feel it this morning? That desire to do more, that desire that our identity comes from how fast we're moving and how much we're doing and how often we're doing it. 
I think a key question as we enter into this is how do I allow myself to stop and rest from time to time? How do I allow myself to pull back and not be simply valued by those things that I do and actually allow myself to be? Some of us live in perpetual motion. And even in church life, we live in perpetual motion. There's always things that we can do for Jesus. There are always things that we can do for others. But without realizing it, when we keep doing and doing and doing, we end up living an Instagram existence where we take the picture of it but never experience the moment. Where we go out to dinner with the family of four, but we're all on our screens and we never experience what we're doing, right, the whole time. That's how we end up living life and even doing ministry in the church if we're not careful. And so as I pondered this, as I thought through what we're going to see in Mark 6 and this little thing that Jesus does that's, I think, so remarkable, here's a, another a follow-up question to this. Is it possible that in our desire to be faithful to Jesus, we have sacrificed the promises of relationship to Jesus? We're doing so much for him, we're not actually with him sometimes. And we get the equation in reverse. See, if we do 50, 100, 1,000 great things for Jesus and never spend time with Jesus, are we actually being faithful to Jesus? It's, it's kind of a tough question to consider, isn't it? But I think we need to consider it this morning. Ultimately, what do we need? What do we need when it comes to Jesus? We need Jesus' presence before we can live our purpose. Do you hear that? We need Jesus' presence before we can live our purpose, and we can't reverse that equation. And so let's look back at Mark 6, because actually an awful lot, starting at verse 30, happens in those few verses. And I'm not preaching on the feeding of the 5,000 today. An awful lot you could do with that as well. And if you compare, by the way, the feeding of the 5,000 with what happens with Herod's banquet, it's a great comparison to make. That's what Mark is trying to have us do by uh, showing us that timeline very clearly. But in, in John, or Mark, excuse me, 6, uh, 30, the apostles had gone out and they had shared about the kingdom. The kingdom's arrival is here. They come back and it says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported him all that they had done and taught. They had gone out, they had healed, they had released people from demons. They're telling Jesus, this is all what happened. Isn't this exciting? Verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. You hear this, the disciples come back, they're excited. It's kind of like uh, our students just came back from Chick, there's excitement. You go to a conference, there's excitement. You come back, you've got all these ideas. They've just been out announcing the kingdom. They've had some success. People were healed. They saw this. They witnessed it. They were part of it. And they said, this is awesome, Jesus. Now what would our reaction be to that, we'd be like, well, let's do it twice as much tomorrow or next week. Let's organize to get 12 more people to go do it with you. So we have 24 multiplier production. What does Jesus do? Why doesn't Jesus press forward at this moment? He says, let's take a break. 
We've got all this mission momentum. Let's step back to a solitary place. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus, so countercultural, so opposite of what we would do. He says these people are like sheep without a shepherd. That's Old Testament sort of way of saying the leadership that we have stinks. They're not leading. We heard that in Ezekiel 34 this morning. These people are only self-interested. Herod, the leader we just saw of that region, he's self-interested. He doesn't care about you. Pharisees, Sadducees, those others, they're pretty self-interested in their, really, in their areas and spheres of control and guidance. They're not really guiding. They're not really taking you anywhere. These people are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has compassion on them. And we, too, need that presence of Jesus if we're going to go forward. We, too, need to actually step back with Jesus and rest with him if we're going to be successful in the ministry for him. And so this morning, we need to recognize that we need to live under the shepherd's care. And here's a classic three-point sermon for you of how that works out. All right, so the first thing is you need to let Jesus be the boss. If you're going to live under the shepherd's care, let Jesus be the boss. You can't be your own shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. We're the sheep. There is a distinction. We need to live into that. And Jesus models for us both a good work and rest balance. And if we're going to recognize that we're sheep, not the shepherd, we need to not only learn from Jesus, but we need to recognize that both work and rest are important things, and we didn't invent those things. They're gifts from God, both of them. We're created with the desire to do, and that's a good thing, but we can overuse that desire. And we're created with the need for rest, but we can underuse that desire and that need. Let's take an example, because I think there's a physical reality and a spiritual reality to resting with Jesus. Of course, you could bring in other realities, but let's just focus on those two. See, because we're designed to rest. We're designed to take a break from time to time. And if you just even take the example of sleep, um, that is something that we need. And that, I think, reveals to us the importance of rest in general. I was reading, uh, this struck me years ago, from Richard Swenson. He's a doctor who wrote uh, More Than Meets the Eye, talking about the wonders of creation from a doctor's perspective. And uh, he says about sleep, he says, God could have created us without the need for sleep, but he didn't. Fish don't sleep. They don't have eyelids. They just go to the bottom of the lake and stare at a rock all night. Giraffes sleep about 10 minutes a day. Dolphins sleep with just half of their brain at a time so the other half can keep them swimming. Cows get three hours of sleep every 24 hours. God could have created us with negligible sleep needs, but for reasons only he fully knows, that would not have suited his deeper purposes. And of course, I think if you explore that more, you can see the, the reality of we're dependent. We're dependent on God in so many ways. And I can tell you, um, as a pastor, just to take my job for an example, uh, your job may have similar things like this. Uh, I could work at our house in the yard and do physical labor, and I could be just as tired as a day where I work with people all day. It's exhausting. Even if it's work I love, it's, it's exhausting to work. And we need to be able to take rest. Being a parent it's exhausting. Can I get a witness on that one? It's exhausting. 
Being a pastor in general, I love it. This is what I'm called to do, but it's tiring. Even what I'm doing right now, the one thing I, I, I love doing more than anything else, preaching God's word in the congregation. I love doing this, but this takes more emotional and physical energy than virtually anything else I do all week. And if I don't take time to rest later this afternoon, I'll be a grump, and you won't want to be around me. We need rest. Yes, you can look at Stephanie. I see that. <laughs> Is it true? We need time to stop physically. Sleep tells us that. If you keep going and you don't sleep, eventually you're going to fall asleep, right? Your body will tell you. you got to stop. But it works out in more than just sleep. We have, there's a physical reality to the need to rest. There's a spiritual reality. When we are forced to stop or when we actually take the time to stop, then, like I said earlier, we actually gain perspective out of the matter. We actually gain some perspective on who God is and who we are and who we're called to be and how we can do that and what we should do. All of that can come into greater focus. Just like when I was talking about at the beginning, you know, when God spoke to me and said, just love the congregation, that was a perspective moment so I could see the positives and the negatives so we could move forward and do the mission better together. That's what happens when we take that time to rest. And so if we're going to let Jesus be the boss, we must rest with him first and routinely. We have to take that time to make it a pattern in our life. We need to take that time to stop both physically and spiritually. I was even reflecting at the beginning of the service. I always take the five minutes before the service and I stop and I pray for those five minutes. So it falls on you to greet any visitors who come in at that time even more so than it does uh, earlier than that because it's all of our job to do that regularly. But I take that time. Just like Jesus says, let's stop. The ministry is never going to stop pressing in. You have to take the time regularly, routinely, to stop and pray. I do things like uh, devotional reading, and now I've started journaling, which is not my nature, but it's a discipline because it helps me recognize throughout the day how I can be in the presence of Jesus throughout the day, and I've paused. So I gain perspective on the scripture I've read, and I can pray through it. I can write down thoughts so that my mind is focused, and I can encounter Jesus throughout the day. We can do things like that to build in those disciplines, to take the time to solitude to listen, read scripture and pause so that we can take in what God is saying to us, so that we actually have time to rest. And then we can work. Second thing uh, we need to recognize is if we're going to live under the shepherd's care, we need to make rest a gift, not a burden. If you ever have those stressful periods of your life, uh, they come for pastors a few times a year. Uh, we have those stressful periods where just there's a lot going on, and then the vacation comes or the day off comes or something. Have you ever had those times of stress, stress, stress? It's all relieved, and what happens? You get sick. There's, it's actually called the letdown effect. It happens regularly to people. And I, it's not that it can stop simply because uh, you've taken more time to rest, but the more you've taken routine times to rest, those stressful periods are a little less stressful and a little less hard on your body because you've actually taken the time to gain that perspective and rest before those stressful periods come. Rest becomes a burden when you no longer give it value. I'm not a nap kind of person, but I've discovered in the last few years there is value in a good nap. I'm trying to use vacation days more often. 
more one here, one there, to take those periods of rest. Those patterns matter for us to make sure that we build those in. And even uh, when we do take vacations, not just me personally, anybody takes vacations, sometimes we do it like we watch Netflix, right? We binge, we try and cram in all we can into a short window of time to see everything we can, and we come away more exhausted than when we started because we're just doing when we go on vacation. We're not being, we're not resting. For rest to be a gift, it's got to be routine, and we've got to allow ourselves to actually stop more often than we do now. The third thing I would say about letting, uh, living under the shepherd's care is really where it takes you. That doing nothing with Jesus will give you the direction to do something for Jesus. And if we don't start with the first, we're not going to get to the second in any effective way. Doing nothing with Jesus will give you the direction to do something for Jesus. Jesus, in this passage we're reading in Mark 6, um, he, the disciples come back and they say, hey, we did all this great stuff. Jesus says, let's take a break. The crowds press in. He says, okay, let's feed them. And, and the, the disciples have to have felt pretty crazy because Jesus says, well, you guys feed them with what you have. And their reaction, I would think, is you just told us to go out with only a staff and no food and nothing extra, and now you're telling us to use the money we don't have and the bread we don't have to feed 5,000 people. How is this going to happen, Jesus? But he says that. So they experience the feeding of the 5,000. Then Jesus walks on water. They get to the other side of the lake. After all that, and in verse 53 of Mark 6, it says, When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, and countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. For all that the disciples experienced with Jesus, for all that they both personally were involved in with healing, and then when they walked with Jesus and they watched all this happen over and over again, I don't know about you, but I'd love to have the testimony of the disciples. That everywhere I go with Jesus, that people are healed, that they come to know the Lord, that we're making disciples wherever we walk, to have the work of walking with Jesus, to have ministry that's just wildly successful, we can't even stop it, it's so successful, the big results, the numbers, all of that would be wonderful to see. But isn't it interesting that when we look at what Jesus does, Jesus actually does less ministry than we might expect. He says no to good things so that he could be most effective in ministry, not most busy in ministry. That's a really powerful thing to recognize. He does all these great things, but he rested. He said, let's stop and let's pause. The ministry's not going to stop for us. The world's not going to stop for us. We've got to rest first. Then we can go to the crowd. Then he has compassion. Then he shows them and leads them, the sheep without a shepherd. Jesus valued both work and rest. Do you value both of those things as well? I'm going to invite the band forward. As they come, I just want to tell you one of my struggles that I have with this. Every year when we kind of end sort of the school year ministries, about May, Sunday school stops, confirmation stops, all of those are closed down. I think to myself, all right, this is a time when I can reframe when I can step back a little bit and take a different schedule 
and try and maybe take it a little slower so I can pause and be a little more reflective. And every summer, I feel guilty because I'm pausing. I'm not doing enough. I'm not producing enough. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm making enough things happen. But we need to get over those kinds of moments in our lives so that we can stop and rest with Jesus so that we don't just do the busiest ministry, but the best ministry that we're called to do. We need Jesus' presence before we can live our purpose. I'm going to take time to pray. I found a wonderful litany from Fran Pratt, who's a worship pastor, a Baptist worship pastor, that I, I'm going to read as our prayer, and I'm going to ask you to enter in as you hear lines from this where you can make it more of a prayer and even more of a challenge to yourself uh, to rest. Take these things to heart. You can even write down during the prayer if there's something that, that comes to mind if God brings it to you. But let's pray. God, we hear your invitation to us. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. We acknowledge our soul's need for rest and quiet nourishment. We lay down our burdens. We acknowledge our soul's need of connection with you. We turn our intentions toward you now. We confess our tendency to overlook rest as a necessary part of soul and self-care. We confess our pride in thinking that our work is so important that we may not set it down. We confess our readiness to believe that what we do determines our worth. We confess our obsession with productivity, results, measurable progress. We confess our neglect of the good soil of our souls. We confess our tendency to forget that it is in you we live and move and have our being and that your love is better than life. We ask now for body, mind, spirit, whole person nourishment, for rest and resurrection, for new life, for healing and consolation of our souls. We ask for help managing our time and activities so that our infillings keep up with our outpourings. Where we have overspent ourselves, refresh us. Where we have misplaced our priorities, rearrange us. Where we have said yes when we should have said no, remind us. We thank you for your meaningful work, for blessings and burdens. We thank you for rest. May we become present to our great need for daily bread, the presence of Christ in our lives. Amen. Amen.